are listening to Doing Law Differently. Join me, Lucy Dickens, as I explore how the world's most progressive legal service providers are doing law differently. Hi everyone, I'm Lucy Dickens. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Doing Law Differently podcast. Today I'm joined by Matthew Burgess, the co-founder of specialist firm View Legal. View Legal specializes in tax, estate and succession planning and they provide strategic advice to business owners and high net worth individuals. When I tell you about their practice areas, they might sound like any other law firm, but the way they do business is quite different. They operate in very much a new law model. So I wanted to invite Matthew on to share his perspective. Matthew is a big proponent for burning timesheets, and he writes and speaks a lot about the need to stop charging clients for time and instead charge based on value. So of course, I talked to Matthew about that, but we also talk about scope, service tiers, automation and outsourcing, and also offshoring of legal work. Enjoy. Hi, Matthew. Thank you for joining me. Lucy, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I want to start by giving you thanks and credit where credit's due for your fun episode title. And you don't know yet, but the one that I've chosen is Big Law Has All the Answers As Long As You Do the Opposite. I love it. I love it. I'll write it down. Well, you gave it to me on the form that you filled out and it made me laugh because I ask all of my guests for suggestions on their episode titles and most of them reply with something along the lines of, hmm, I'm not quite very good at creative stuff, let me get back to you. So I enjoyed this and it it gave me a big smile. Ah, good, good. Now, one obvious way that you're doing the opposite to big law and far from the only way that you're doing the opposite, but one of the obvious ways and one that you like to talk about the most is burning timesheets. Correct. So I thought you were going to start with some easy questions initially, but no, you've gone right at it. So We get straight in. We've got 20 minutes, so we need to dive into the good stuff. And I love it. That is, <laughs> that is awesome. So yes, absolutely. And look, it's a, I was going to say it is a bit controversial. I don't know if that necessarily is the case now. I won't put you on the spot and flip it, but I, I suspect you, if it's not you, you know of an increasing number of people that are, are leaving the timesheets behind. I think It's interesting. We had this discussion just recently in another format. I think perhaps where we possibly diverge from a lot of other people in this is that our experience has been in the case that until we got rid of timesheets, we never really were able to embrace any of the other good things that go with leaving behind time billing. So there's certainly a lot of literature out there that would say, oh, no, well, you can still price other than on time and keep the timesheets, almost have the best of both worlds. That maybe it's a reflection of our firm, but that's certainly not been our experience. And I think tellingly, it's not really been the experience. I don't know of any firm that has removed the timesheets that says that their business was the same once they removed it. I think without exception, all businesses that we know of have said that their business changed radically for the better once they did finally get rid of the timesheet. I don't think that getting rid of the timesheets is controversial anymore, but I also don't think it's really that widespread as you and I think. I think what we tend to do is surround ourselves with people who are more like-minded. And so we, the kind of people who we, the lawyers that we know are not charging based on time, but I think there really is still quite a lot of people out there that are doing it. I think you're absolutely correct. And and certainly when we first got out of being inside the machine, so being at a really, really large firm, I, I think we got quite a lot of consulting work and, and did quite a lot of collaborative work with firms who were toying with the idea. And maybe it was a reflection of, of the value that we delivered or otherwise. I, I don't know that any of those firms have ever actually done anything. 
like it was all a bit of a novelty and interesting initially, but the reality is that it's a very sticky model and in fairness, it's been a very successful model. So, you know, it's, I don't want to be too damning about it, but the flip side is that there are a whole lot of collateral issues that arise, not least of which, you know, respecting diversity and respecting quality of life and balance and all of those other things that for a lot of people are important but seem to get lost in the slipstream of, of a time-billing machine. And are those the good things you just said before, that when you got rid of the timesheets, you could embrace the good things that go that come from that? So are those the kinds of things you mean? Yeah, for us, in a sentence, Lucy, I think for us what happened was that we went from an entire paradigm where all we were really worried about was, is this chargeable? to having a total mind shift to saying, well, is what we are doing valuable? And that sounds a little bit glib in isolation, but it it just so fundamentally changed everything that we did and really just forever got rid of this idea that, well, unless it's chargeable, it's not worth doing. One of the other biggest challenges that I think people have, other than that mindset shift that you've just explained, is working out what to charge. What's your advice around that? Well, the the simplest comment I can come up with is it's a journey and it's a journey where you never really reach the destination. So we quite often sort of say for those that sort of reach out to us wanting to unbundle where they're at, we our journey to be able to price a fixed price was one that probably took about seven or eight years in different forms. Now, we were very slow learners, so I'll give that disclaimer as well. You were also early adopters, though, so you were probably doing a lot of the learning by yourselves, weren't you? You didn't have... Well, you're being very generous. So I think with hindsight, that is right. <laughs> but I would still say that we were a bit slow, um, even in that context. But then on top of that, when we then started making sure that we gave money back guarantee, plus we started offering at least three, sometimes four, even five service levels. When we got to that point, it was like we hadn't done anything and we were starting all over again. Mm. So that Look, some people might feel that scary. For us, that's actually quite exhilarating and exciting. It it truly is. It's a lifelong discipline, the way we approach it, and and one where we never think we're going to sort of have arrived at destination, know what we're doing. Yeah, I love that you explain it like that because I feel the same way too. And I think that the moment where you think, oh, we've got this, it's working, it's so fleeting because it's about yes. about the same time that you have that thought, you discover another way of doing something. Can you think, oh, okay, now on to the next evolution. And so it just doesn't last very long. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. You just mentioned then your service guarantee. Can you tell us about how that works? Yeah. And again, look, I don't think that there's actually a lot of innovation around this and touch wood. I think we've only had it called in, I think, three times, two occasions by the same firm who was asking us to help their clients in a particular way. And I I think ultimately there might be a bit of what Ron Baker refers to as Baker's Law, which is bad clients tend to push out and create way too much energy (laughs) emotionally and otherwise and should really be sapped as soon as possible. And that's certainly what we're going to be doing with this client because it's just come up again in the last week. But overall, I don't know that the guarantee is actually any different to what any other firm offers. Because if you think about it, particularly in a time billing thing, you're sitting there, you're churning away, bang, 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 bang. Then at the end of the month, you urgently send out the invoice because the manager partner's told you your billings aren't high enough. And then the client complains. Well, invariably what happens is that that then goes through a whole process internally, which ultimately results if the client won't pay, that you strike a deal and, and agree a, a new price, which to me is a guarantee. 
It's just that you're not out there actually saying it in black and white that it's a guarantee. So all we've really done, to go back to your very, very first comment, is we've just taken what traditional law firms do anyway and just flipped it and actually said, well, you know what, everyone's sort of offering this in a roundabout way anyway. All we're doing is actually saying it out in front and telling you at the start of the process that we will engage in that process. And if you don't see value, well, then you don't pay. And that, but we will still finish the job for you as well. It's almost a double guarantee when you look at it through that lens. And you say you've only ever had three people call you out on it. And on two of those, I think they were absolutely correct to call us out. Like we, we did not perform to our capabilities. And so I was more than happy to deliver. On this third one, look, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but on this third one, I think that the, they've marked, it, it's been a very uncollaborative process, which is not how we like to work. And, and given that they previously called us out, and called in a full money-back guarantee on another matter, there seem to be some patterns of behaviour there that, yeah, we choose not to engage in further. (laughs) Yes, good choice, I think. Another thing that I really like about the service guarantee, which I actually think is one of the benefits that you explained to me when you told me about this a couple of years ago, and that's that you've just got rid of all of the hassle of if you do receive a complaint about your service or somebody's not happy with something you've done, You've got rid of all that hassle of the to and fro. Are they right? Are they wrong? You know, is it just a difficult client? Did we actually do things right? I mean, obviously, you're still going to look back and review your file from your internal perspective to make sure you were delivering up to standard. But you get the client doesn't have to be involved in any of that. You just cut out all that angst. Exactly. And I think like everyone's adults. And and the reality is the vast majority of people are not out to cause lawyers angst or anyone angst, you know, we all go to the toilet and we all have showers and we all go to bed and we all sleep. And so I think it's a really disarming thing. And I certainly understand why historically lawyers would not have been interested in doing it because it does feel, I won't, I mean, it does feel very, very risky, but our experience has been overwhelmingly positive. And as I said, in at least one, if not two of the three that And this is over five years, right? So over five years, we've had three people call us out on it. I would say, speaking objectively, at least two of them were entirely, entirely right to do so. And I would would have felt Mm -hmm. sick actually trying to charge anything. A quick break from the interview to let you know about a new service that I'm offering. For almost 10 years, I've designed and delivered productized legal services that have transformed the way law firms operate. I've now designed a coaching program where I'll teach you how to design services that truly meet your customers' needs, package them for sale, and systematize and streamline service delivery so that you can work smarter, not harder. Ultimately, it's about simplifying your business model so you can escape the billable hour and the best part, spend your time on work you love. If you're keen to learn more, visit lucydickens.com.au and book in for a free 30-minute discovery call. Now to me, pricing, and I'm sure to you too, but pricing can't be removed from scope and service level. And the big law or the traditional view of lawyers is that we need to be excellent in everything we do. So it's that dot every I, cross every T, kind of make sure we cover all bases. Now, I know a more modern approach, and I think one that you adopt, is that instead of that, services are designed to be fit for the purpose and more suited towards a customer's objectives as opposed to being technically perfect in every way. Am I right in understanding that that's more of the approach that you take? It is. I'm going to, I'm trying to avoid sounding like a lawyer, but you've backed me into a corner. So I'm going to have to sound like a lawyer a little bit. I'd I'd agree with basically everything that you've said. And and you might say this is being unduly pedantic. We would never, ever compromise the technical excellence of what we do 
in order to meet a scope. So it, this is, I think the analogy we, and it's not ours, but the analogy that's always resonated most strongly with us, if, if you were flying from Sydney to Perth, yeah, you choose to sit in, in economy. That it doesn't mean that sort of you get halfway across from Adelaide and they open up yeah. the doors and say, right, uh, Lucy, you're out. Mm-hmm. Good luck with mm-hmm. the parachute. <laughs> Everyone still lands safely. So this isn't about, mm-hmm. and, and by analogy, that's exactly how we roll in terms of our legal excellence. We Everyone still gets exactly what they need in that technical competence. But if you are wanting, to give you an example, if you're wanting to, have lawyers on standby to answer your call whenever you want. If you are wanting the having absolute priority over everything else, if you're wanting to us to go and give you a final sign off in a way that is exponentially more than at what would otherwise be the base level, well, there's a price consequence for that additional scope. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a service level distinction as opposed to an outcome distinction. Like you say, you're still going to deliver them. You're not going to kick them out the door halfway. You're still going to help them to achieve the objective or the outcome. It's just the level of service that they receive along the way. Correct. I would go back to one of our earlier points, Lucy, that it, it is also a journey because that sounds, I hope it sounds for your listeners, relatively simple to talk about that. And okay, I can apply that to my business. In practice, it can be a lot more complex than that. And I'm certainly, again, saying we we don't always get it right. And I think one of our biggest lessons has been once we have been embracing this idea of offering different service levels is that you need to be very disciplined in getting as deeper understanding about both the customer themselves and what their likely objectives are going to be before you start offering up different service levels because otherwise our experience Mm -hmm. has been you can very quickly find yourself in real bother. So what are some of the issues or the challenges that you faced with doing that? Well, I think my favourite story was actually one of the very first situations which I thought was a true success but actually turned out to be (laughs) an abject failure. So we... (laughs) I don't know how people refer to it, probably bronze, silver, gold or whatever it might call it. So the Goldilocks principle of having three service levels. We had a gold level. I can't remember exactly what we called it, but it was the, it was first class. So I was sitting up the front of the aeroplane and it was the first time ever that a customer had taken it. So I'm sort of walking around thinking, oh, aren't I good? Like oh, I've had someone take the top level and, and this is awesome. And it was a, don't quote me on the exact numbers, but say it was a job that at the base level I think was about four or $5,000. At the very top level, it was more like $20,000. So it was really quite stark, the differential. And one of the key differentiators was that they would have unlimited access to another lawyer in our team and me. But there was no time frame as to when that unlimited access was going to end. <laughs> so on the first part of the matter, where we and we completed what I thought was the scope, and I contacted the client. I said, look, I actually feel really weird here. You've, you've taken the top level. You've barely contacted us at all. This seems amazing. And the customer gave me a real lecture and said, well, you know, I just want to have you on tap. I want to know that you're going to be available for me into the future when I might need you. And I'm sort of sitting there going, oh, but I don't, no, 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 but the scope's finished. That's my internal dialogue. No, we're done now. Yeah. Well, lo and behold, it's two years later, he was still contacting me whenever he wanted as part of that unlimited access service line. So yeah, what I thought had been a huge win turned out to be a huge favourite. In fairness, he did ultimately accept that that had to end at some point, even though you know, he quite rightly pointed out, well, Matthew, you're the lawyer and you didn't ever say that it was going to end, so I thought it was for life. Oh, but surely it was just for a reasonable time. 
that's the typical lawyer answer. I should have called you, Lucy. I should have called you because he, <laughs> he, he wasn't going to. He said, well, if it was meant to be for a reasonable time, you should have said it was for a reasonable time. Yes. He didn't say that either. Yes. So needless to say, we have fixed up uh, that line item <laughs> moving forward for other customers. Yeah, lesson learned. Correct. And one thing I know about your firm that I find really, really interesting is that you outsource a lot of your work, including to overseas providers. And I'm really interested to learn how this looks. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's almost an entire session in itself, Lucy. So Mm -hmm. I'll give you some initial You can give us the summary version. Yeah, yeah. And if people want anything more or if you would like more, please reach out. Our journey on that started back in the mid to late OOs, if there is such a thing, so sort of 2005, 2006. And it was really born out of a couple of thinkers that had been a big impact on our business. So the first one was Daniel Pink, and he wrote a book back around that time called A Whole New Mind, which I just really encourage if people haven't looked at it recently, that it's a really good book. And then there's another one, which was not as influential, but it certainly was one that stopped us and made us think about what we were doing called, I think it's, it's called by Thomas Friedman, it's called something like The Flat Earth or the, something similar, but basically talks about how many, many other industries all the way back to sort of the 1970s had really embraced off or outsourcing as a concept, but then in turn offshoring as a completely distinct but adjacent concept. So we certainly started outsourcing very, very quickly. And then as the technology improved, offshoring became a really big part of our business as well. The two things I would say is firstly, it ultimately our experience has been that it still depends on humans and the same issues you have when you, even if you've got a team member internally sitting in your office, any issues that you might have in terms of working as a team really just exasperated by or exaggerated by having an offshore person. And secondly, for our business, because we've really sort of doubled or even tripled down into the technology play, what we generally find is the stuff that we were outsourcing and offshoring, say, three, two to three to four years ago, is now all fully automated and fully done through. And and our sense of things is that the stuff that we're outsourcing and offshoring currently will be similarly automated probably within three years. Mm, That's an interesting transition process. What are some of the things that you are outsourcing and offshoring now that perhaps you've, or sorry, that you were outsourcing that you have now perhaps automated? Just some examples of types of work. Yeah, awesome question. So a lot of our basic typing is now fully automated. That wouldn't be a surprise to anyone, but there's, there are so many apps around now that just do that voice to word transcription so quickly. I would say an enormous range of what many lawyers refer to as products are now fully automated. And this isn't just like really simple, lineal production of, you know, taking a variable from here and putting it in here. This is like an entire ecosystem that actually drags data from, say, the tax office or ASIC or other third trusted third parties and weaves it into a fully integrated and very complex document and then creates an instantaneous completely correct document so that they would be the two big areas i think that the basic transcriptions and then a whole range of products i'm probably i don't know how many there'd be certainly over 50 of those style of legal documents whether they trustees other forms of agreement other sort of relatively basic but in comparison Mm -hmm. to a lot of other automation systems we've seen actually quite complex legal documents that are now fully automated 
Are those documents that you just described, are those ones that are developed through your partnership with Now Infinity or is there some other technology that you're using here? Thank you for calling that out, that all of those are through either Now Infinity directly or other technology providers that we've partnered with. Mm, it's pretty fancy stuff if you can integrate with external providers and enable instantaneous documents. It's, that's pretty clever. And it's exciting because it frees, and that goes back to the whole New Mind book as well. It's absolutely frees everyone up to be able to then work yeah. on higher value stuff. We've never seen either outsourcing or offshoring as some sort of catalyst to, to do people out of jobs. If anything, our business in terms of human resources has only grown the more we've embraced offshore and outsourcing. Yeah, it's interesting. When we first started to design a technology that did similar kinds of things in terms of very smart document templates and integrations with third parties, a similar kind of thing to what you've described, I thought this will mean we need less people to do the work. But what actually happened is that it meant that our people could work on far more interesting and strategic and more complex work. And we then ended up getting more of that type of work because we became so good at it, because we didn't have to spend the time on the grunt work or the easy or the mundane type things. We could really position ourselves as being excellent at the other stuff. Yeah, 100% agree. And what a great additional example. You've seen similar? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. The question I'd like to finish off with is asking for some advice. Now, I know that you have a wealth of knowledge and it might be hard for you to give me just one piece, but what's your, what's your key advice for someone who's looking to do law differently in more of a modern way? Awesome question. The first thing that's come to mind is it's never too early. It's never too early to get in and have a go and that would be the, the biggest thing that we failed at. We really left things too late. And I think the other thing, and it's an often quoted response, I suspect, for people that you ask that question of is that if you're not embarrassed by your first attempt, you've left it too late. Mm. It's the minimum viable product type approach. Oh, I think so. And just accepting that you're going to fail. The only thing certain is that you will fail. Mm. So the sooner you get in, the sooner you have a red hot go, the sooner you're going to fail. And that every single fail that you have is money in the bank because it will just tell you what not to do and help you get to what you need to be doing that much quicker. Absolutely. I like that. That's great advice. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Lucy, for everything that you're doing. I, I know it was probably before record was hit on this session, but it, it is quite extraordinary what you are able to deliver and don't entirely know. I assume sleep is the one thing that you jump out of, that you skip <laughs> out of, to allow you to do everything else. But, but thank you and, and congratulations on, on everything, but on this podcast in particular. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Matthew. Do check out his website, viewlegal.com.au, where you'll find links not only to his blog and to videos that he publishes, but also to the many, many books that he's written and published all around running a new law business and the things that he's learned along the way. So do go and check those out. See you next week. You've been listening to the Doing Law Differently podcast. Visit doinglawdifferently.com.au.